Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And this week, finally, as long, long, long promised, <laughs> we're going to talk about Barack Obama's fantastic presidential memoir, A Promised Land. And, you know, I hope a lot of you got this for Christmas, gave it for Christmas, got it before Christmas, because um, it's an extraordinary book. And this is not necessarily easy. I read Bill Clinton's presidential memoir. It was painfully boring. Painfully boring. This, is he really a writer, though? I, I mean, you know, he's the communicator-in-chief, but like a professional writer, no. But Barack Obama, as you're alluding, known as a writer, came to prominence on the strength of a fantastic memoir. So this is not his first crack at memoir. And it's just a really brilliant, scintillating book over and over and over, where he keeps it real about different people from Sarah Palin to Mitch McConnell to John McCain. Um, And he keeps, he does a great job at relating, going from the personal to the to the national and back. There's a chapter where that that, that I just as a writer that I really really loved, where he starts by talking about buying his first home and how much they paid for it and how much they got down. And then somebody saying to uh, somebody saying to him, "Hey, like you know, you can get a better deal on this home." And so he goes and refinances and takes money out. And he's like, "Wow, that was really easy." And I was kind of like, why is he going in-depth on his own financial history with his home? And then he very elegantly moves this into, um, you know, learning more about politics and economy as he's a political, as he's elected official. And a friend of his who's saying, uh, a very smart friend of his who's saying, hey, you know, this whole house of cards is going to come tumbling down. And he's like, what? And this sounds like a crazy idea. And this leads into his discussion of the housing crisis. So he begins talking about his own housing history and how he's part of getting 
uh, sort of money out from his mortgage, and then it becomes this, na- you know, this national conversation. So, you know, it's just just a really – and he keeps sort of doing this sort of thing. There's these great moments where he's just like, you know, the the White House was a really great place to live. The light coming in, the veranda and the morning was so beautiful. And then – He'll segue into, but, you know, the job was full of pain and difficulty because it's just an incredibly stressful situation. It's, it's, a, it's a really brilliant sort of discussion about him and his way of looking at the world. You know, I thought initially, I, I think that my hesitancy, not because I do not read, as Torre alludes to, but my hesitancy in reading um, in, in beginning to read the book because it's 700 pages long, so I'm not finished with it, uh, was the fact that we are just living in such despair right now that I kind of really didn't want to go back to this golden era. I, I really, it felt more painful than anything else to like, remember what it was that we, that we had. And then this is what we've done. But I think that what I've liked so far, one, Barack Obama is an incredibly beautiful visual writer. If he wanted to go into fiction next, like he could absolutely just roll with fiction. It's beautiful, the picture that he paints. And as I'm reading it and him talking about America, I'm talking about Hawaii, talking about traveling through, you know, the suburbs of Chicago and these places, it's like all of a sudden it was like talking about an old, an old lover that you had a bad breakup with, but you're like, I remember these good parts. And that's how I started to feel about America. I was like, oh, wait a minute. You did give this man a chance with the foreign name and from a mixed background. And oh my God, maybe this America still does exist. I, I liked I liked it and I wanted to dive into it precisely because of that, because I wanted to be reminded of a time when we had a leader who was much more thoughtful, who was much more intelligent, who was much more focused on actually doing the fucking job, um, and had a deep sort of thesis within himself about why he's doing the job. I, you know, I always thought that the attack on him as a community, having been a community organizer, was ridiculous. And he responds to that without being like, I'm going to answer what the Republicans have been saying. But he does a really thoughtful discussion of being a community organizer and understanding in that way what the people's actual problems are and, and developing almost a love of the people and yet realizing that you can't really move the needle for people unless you're in elected office. And I think some people go into elected office for their ego, and some people go for elective office uh, to actually help the people. And he makes the case that he really was for the latter, that he really wanted to help people, that his time as a community organizer showed him the limitations of being able to help the people from that chair. So he's like, I want to go over here to elective office to see how I can help the people. And it's it's a really powerful explanation of why he's in uh, public life at all. And I think that, too, that particular, those particular stories of 
the beauty of community organizing, being able to see the community center that you've built, right? Like being able to know and touch upon the single mother that has the two jobs that is putting her kids through school and wanting to create a better schooling for them, right? That they are getting these secondhand books and these experiences that are horrible. And so what I loved about the talk about being a community organizer is one, I don't think I, even as a Democrat and as a progressive, realized how hard that job is. Realize how like emotionally taxing and time consuming it is to knock on doors, to go into areas that like may not be that welcoming. I think that one of the things that I like, what did he say? He was like, going to get, I guess this was when he was getting signatures to run his first race. And he's like talking about going up to this house that the guy has a do-rag on and his his breath is thick with alcohol. And he's just like wanted to make conversation. And dude's just like, take the address and the the signature and like, keep it moving. But the idea that you, I think what is beautiful is that you can see through his description of the community that he's trying to become a part of, that he sees the value in each and every individual in that community. And it is such a contrast when you're reading it and you're thinking about what, where we are right now. And just like the fact that we don't value the fact that we have an entire party that doesn't value people and doesn't definitely sure as hell wouldn't find themselves in a neighborhood like he was going into to try and convince people to be a part of something. There's a balance here also in that, uh, the president is talking about being a president, the job, the work, the policy, the, the meetings that happen where policy gets hashed out and, you know, the meetings are really the, 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 the meetings that you and I may never hear about outside of books like this um, are really the heart of politics, not giving speeches, not giving speeches. The, these meetings where, where, where details are hashed out, where lawmakers come together to decide, yeah, let's give them $600 and keep it moving. Um, but he talks about that stuff and and getting his side of history of the campaign of the financial crisis um is really interesting and valuable but he also balances it with the human stuff of being a dad of two young kids who still cares very much about them uh, cares about his wife um you know how the, the his mother-in-law moves in with them how her unaffectedness uh, you know, comes down to the children and retains their humility. And at the same time, you know, one of the details that sticks out for me, the permanent staff, the butlers and the maids who uh, Obama talks about as black were deeply moved by serving this beautiful black family. And they were just so honored to see, you know, someone from their tribe, someone from our tribe mm-hmm. in the White House. And they sort of allude to, you know, you don't know how we've been treated in the past and you'll never know the joy it is that, you know, finally for once it's you um, or somebody who looks like you, somebody who looks like us, somebody who reminds us of our cousin, our uncle, our brother, what have you. Um, and not just Barack, but also Michelle, also the girls. Um, and so, you know, the, and, and that 
that emotional dividend meant so much to so many of us um, to finally feel like, wow, like a black family could win the White House and inhabit the White House. Like, wow, like that meant so much. And so that comes across in this um, you know, I want to I, I will add to that, that one of the greatest things that I, I, I honestly miss the most is and I had the wonderful good fortune of being able to go to the Obama White House on multiple occasions for different types of events is that that description of the people, the, the House staff, the White House staff and their pride, you felt that as a visitor. Because they had never seen so many black and brown people dressed to the nines, walking the halls for Christmas parties or pride events or this, that, and the other thing. And you could, you could feel the, the, the sense of like glee and excitement, um, for them to be living a major part of history. And it was honestly, genuinely beautiful. And I loved his story about the gardeners taking pride in their work as he's walking, you know, walking the short minute walk on the promenade up the, you know, uh, uh, up, up the up the incline that was put in for, um, what is it, for FDR. Um, and, and just that the pride that they had in their work and just him recognizing it. And you just realize it does not take so much to make people feel good about themselves. No. It really doesn't. From the New Yorker staff writer Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Show is part of the Pro Democracy Podcast Coalition. The midterms are coming, and it's more important than ever that we protect and fix our elections. We all know that our government is broken. Politicians spend more time working for themselves, their big donors, and their political party instead of for us. We as Americans have had enough of the corruption, partisan bickering, and gridlock. Look, I get that all the nonsense makes you want to tune out, but I'm here to tell you there's reason for hope. Our political system is broken now, but we can fix it. That's why we've partnered with 
with Represent Us, a nonpartisan grassroots organization that has helped notch more than 160 victories to improve our elections and give power back to the voters where it belongs. Right now, until November, there are many, many ways you can get involved. Represent Us is working in cities and states to pass good government policies like ranked choice voting. And they're also recruiting folks to help staff the polls. Let's protect our elections now and for generations to come. Visit represent.us slash pod to learn more. That's represent.us slash pod. What up, y'all? It's Torre, and on my podcast, Torre Show, I interview successful black rappers, actors, writers, politicians, all sort of people to talk about what powered their rise, how they built their success, and what their superpower is. Through our conversations, you'll learn about how you can achieve your goals. Listen to Torre Show on Apple Podcasts or anywhere podcasts are streamed. And go further and become a member of our community on Patreon, where you'll get exclusive episodes. He always talked about the silly season in politics when people would say stupid shit. And he so he's he's not overly reverential of the job. He's 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 respectful of it and yet sees the human limitations of it. And uh it's interesting, it's fun when you see him sort of like just step back and take the job down a peg or take himself down a peg. Um, And it's also fantastic to see him knock down Mitch McConnell, Sarah Palin, uh, you know, John Boehner. I mean, I wish it had been literally, but sure. John McCain. Um, I'm trying to find some of the stuff that he said about Sarah Palin because it's just, it's it's just, it's just, constantly like he's he's not mean because he's never mean but he's honest in noting these people are you know not not here to help america and they are not helping america and they are not helpful for america but it's Uh, like he's not he's not lying right like you 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 can see that we can see that just now with the six hundred dollars that took eight months to get like you can see that you know here are all of the things that we were trying to do and work and work towards and like these are all the ways that it that had has been blocked while you're looking for that one of the things that i love so much too and i just don't remember maybe i just didn't pay attention enough i didn't really know a lot about barack obama's uh mother and the way that he describes her is kind of like this hippie free spirit that was like, you know, traveling around the world. Yeah, she may have gotten married, but they ain't going to tie her down. Like, you know, she's not really invested in politics because she thinks they're full of shit, but she's really invested in people. Right. And 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 it was just like I'm thinking about this young white girl with, <laughs> with these black children just like living life. And she sounds she sounded amazing, actually, like she sounded really um, like an exciting, adventurous person. Uh, and I think it's just really funny that this. Very mindful, you know, person president emerges from from the description of her i just thought it was great at the other end of the spectrum sarah palin (laughs) (laughs) obama says 
what became abundantly clear as soon as Sarah Palin stepped into the spotlight was that on just about every subject relevant to governing the country, she had absolutely no idea what the hell she was talking about. And it seems mean, but if you were there when Sarah Palin was going through the campaign, it's not mean. That's about the most polite and delicate way you can put it. The financial system, the Supreme Court, the Russian invasion of Georgia. It didn't matter what the topic was or what form the question took. The Alaskan governor appeared lost, stringing words together like a kid trying to bluff her way through a test for which she had failed to study. But, and he sees the future, right? Palin's nomination was troubling on a deeper level. I noticed from the start that her incoherence did not matter to the vast majority of Republicans. In fact, anytime she crumbled under questioning by a journalist, they seemed to view it as proof of a liberal conspiracy. And Trump is the son of Sarah Palin as much as anyone. Um, He took her path and blazed it and made it even more brazen. I know nothing and that's fine. And you journalists pointing out that I know nothing is proof that you are corrupt, not that I'm an idiot. And they got used to that way of thinking with her and they just and i think george bush started it but he had some knowledge and i mean then he Sarah had palin, some knowledge i mean look after we compared to palin and trump george bush clearly had some small amount of knowledge he was like a mini Einstein I, I mean, in comparison <laughs> to those two. At least he came, but uh, to be honest, like at least he came from stock. I didn't agree with them policy-wise, but had some fucking sense, right? Like they're terrible people and have terrible politics, but like I wouldn't have said George H.W. Bush was a dummy, right? right? Like, no, you know, all. so it, it's it's fascinating to me how we, it, and it's not even that slow, I guess, right? How we devolved as a country into full-on stupidity. But when you allow the right to be able to uh, demonize education as being elite, right? Then this is where you end up. You end up in stupid town. No, absolutely. George Bush really helped push them toward the notion that gut knowledge is what's truly important and intellectualism is the enemy and uh, doctors, lawyers, and politicians and media folks are the enemy and they don't know what they're talking about and they're somehow overeducated experts who don't know what they're talking about. So that pushed them in the direction of, well, Sarah Palin and Donald Trump with their sense of gut knowledge. I know what is right and wrong from my gut, which I guess would make sense to somebody who has not been to significant academic institutions, has no respect or reverence for them, that they seem foreign to them. And they're like, you know, I don't really care what people from them, what those sort of things um, would think about things. It's it's quite dangerous to have I'm, one party be rejecting mm. of all 
knowledge around climate, taxation, immigration, race, uh, you know. Facts, all science, facts, two plus science, two, math, yeah, like reading. media, just like, I mean, just any any media conversation is fake news. Any scientific study is re- rejected out of hand. You know, anything that's on CNN can be just scoffed at because it's all CNN. <laughs> like, but, you know, it's it's just so scary. You know, it is really scary. And it is incredi- incredibly dangerous because, frankly, like – I, I think that one of the biggest eye openers having had worked on the hill for. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. A little bit was that these some of these members really didn't know shit, right? Like, really, honestly, were poorly representing the people that they were serving because the people that they were serving would have rather had a beer buddy, right, than somebody who was knowledgeable about what they didn't. Because it's this idea, this false premise that if you know more, then all of a sudden you're going to be condescending and you're speaking down to these to these other groups of people. And that is not the case, but that is how the right has framed intellect. But we know that in dictatorships and in fascist societies, it, it is the intellectuals and the academics that are the ones that are getting rid of, gotten rid of the first, right? Like, don't listen to them. They, nece- they didn't necessarily burn our books, but they have been degrading education and academics and learning and the desire to know more, to be more, to be more as something that is bad. So it is akin to burning books that they've been doing for decades. It is akin to burning books, you're right. And it's like more than burning a specific book, we're burning the concept that book learning even matters. So reject the entire thing. If you come out of Harvard or Yale, you are worthless, that your knowledge is worthless, that you are a scientist. Reject your your entire conversation is worthless. Um, it, it's, it's, it's quite a cancer for the country and their only response is that strength is all that matters uh matt gets recently tweeted about lockdowns make you look weak as if it's like just if you're just tough enough you'll just go out like like coronavirus is like the rain just go out and just it just tough it out right this is just if just a big snowstorm just tough it out um a lot of people are dying you know, and a lot of people who are 
trying to not get it are getting it from people who are brazen about it. So you being a tough guy, you may have killed grandma or your aunt or whoever. So, you know, that doesn't make any sense. But just the, the, the fetishization of looking mm. tough, of being mm-hmm. tough, as if we are effete and weak because we are in our minds rather than just I know it in my gut and in my body it's 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 quite dangerous for the country to have so many people who are fixated on that sort of knowledge um well you know what they say about people who need to project a certain level of strength right they're the ones that get the corvettes during their midlife crisis they're the ones that have to project a certain thing because they are very small 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 men Um, and so, you know, you need to seem like you are the tough guy because you're overcompensating. I mean, I, you know, I don't even know what to do with that comment. (laughs) I I just know that we have, we have an epidemic of rejecting of knowledge on the right. This is not a both sides problem. This is not a problem on the left. And this is a large reason why we are here today with coronavirus. It was almost a perfect storm in that the media and the scientists were telling us we have a gigantic problem, which meant that the right, led by Trump, had to respond, that must be bullshit, because you are two of the groups who we've been telling folks for decades, don't listen to the scientists and don't listen to the media. So, it would be off-brand to suddenly change and say, now we're going to respect the scientists and listen to the media. We're going to pr- we have to continue to say that they're both full of shit, and now we're in a pretzel when 300,000 are done. I mean, I guess, what do you do? At this, at this stage in the game, the, the goal of the Republican Party is to double down on idiocy, double down on stupidity. It's like, I'll show you, I'm going to double down on it. And, you know, and I guess what also makes me so angry is that I remember when Barack Obama came onto the stage, right? And I remember uh, political analysts on TV saying, like, what is the right going to do with this guy? He literally is the fucking golden child. You're talking about somebody who was, like, raised partially by their grandparents, a single mom, didn't know their dad, worked their way up, you know, by their bootstraps, became the president of the Harvard Law Review. Like, literally, his life is a testament to America. And like, but, and this is who you go after. Do you know what I'm saying? And so to show white America just how great they are, they pick the bottom of the barrel piece of shit and say, this is what we give you. This is your king now. Has any party leapt as far as McCain to Trump represents? And I know that Romney was in between them, but Romney is such a, such an an invisible cipher to me, but McCain was uh, was a decent person who stood up against the rising tide of folks saying Obama's not an American, he's not a good person, he cannot be trusted. McCain said no. He heard that Tea Party, what would become known as Trumpism, rumbling coming, and at at risk of his own campaign, he said no. 
I have different ideas than him, but we do not need to demonize him. And Trump would just take that even further than anybody in the audience would say. And Hillary should be locked up. Right. So, you know, it was as if McCain had handed the microphone to the crazy woman. She got on stage and went even further. Um, McCain was a man of decency, a man of knowledge, a man who had been in government, who had been in public life, a family from public life, who cared about people, cared about others. Yeah. And I mean, it's and held the Republican Party to its own old standard and trump dragged it off in a whole other direction that was just based on the cult of what was best for him personally you know i wonder you know given that what you say about mccain i wonder if he hadn't have died if he would have been able to galvan because mitt romney has no spine we we saw that when we watched the little documentary mitt like that he had no he has no spine he is nobody's you know warrior i wonder if 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 mccain had 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 been alive and had been well um if he would have been able to put a stake in the ground if he would have been the one to be like you know what i'm gonna organize these 20 some odd republicans and we're impeaching this motherfucker like he like this i i went to war right and like sacrificed for this goddamn country that you are ruining like I wonder if 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 he would have been you know and I don't know I I have I no know. but I do know and I appreciate the fact that he was vocal until his dying day and then even still when planning his own funeral was like fuck you Donald Trump yeah like because you ain't coming yeah I don't um, know I don't know I don't know I don't know. I don't know that there's one I don't I I don't think that there's really any savior on the right who could have helped us out of this you know just to come back to Obama. Uh, for a moment, there's, I don't want to call it a criticism because Obama gets to write the book that he wants to write. There could be more Michelle in this. You know, she's a very charismatic, beloved figure. I know that in the campaign, she was a very vocal person, even though she was like, I really don't care for politics. If we're going to be in this, we better fucking win this shit. And I know there were times from the reporting that she was like, you know, you guys, Gibbs and, and Axe, and you guys are fucking this up, and you need to da 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 And, you know, she's kind of a spectral figure, a sideline figure. And not that he's going to say negative things about his wife. Nobody's talking about that. But she could be a larger figure in this story. And there's clearly a choice that uh, she's not going to be as large a figure as she could be. Um, I think there's that she is more of a partner to him, not necessarily in the way that Hillary presented herself as to President Clinton, but she's more than a mom. And that is not necessarily coming through in this book. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that Michelle had the opportunity and she did very brilliantly and becoming, you know, to tell, to tell her story. I think that this was, you know, this is his to tell from the perspective of the first black president. I did, you know, the, the, the nuggets that, uh, we, we did get, you know, already, uh, my feelings about Michelle Obama are already cemented. I already know she's a boss. I already know that she held that family down, you know, like we, and I think that, anyone who knows that are black women, right? You know, um, who, who, who never get to be first lady, but damn sure do all of the work, right? Um, of the multiple jobs that they have to juggle and carry. And I think that he was very honest in that depiction of her, like Michelle was already very accomplished. Here I come, you know, and disrupt her whole life. And I actually like the way that he said that, you know, like here I come, this kid, this un- not well-dressed kid from Hawaii with the slow walk and like, you know, smoking cigarettes with big dreams. And here she was already a polished, quaffed professional. And he's like, you know, so what about, what about this? What about, you know, what about this? I'm like, his swag had got to be hidden for him to have, for her to even entertain him. You know, (laughs) that's true. That's true. (laughs) To even Um, entertain him. I I don't even know. I think that, that the years out of, uh, the Oval Office have been valuable for him as a writer in that he's able to see the political winds of what was happening. And I think reading this, you will better better understand what was happening politically in terms of the political science history, and the importance of the filibuster, the, the movement of the Republican Party, the movement of economics – um, the the larger things that were happening. And he admits, like, I didn't see this at the time, but now I can see that the Republican Party was going in this direction, that the economy was moving in this way. And we kind of, we kind of saw it, but we didn't fully see it. But now I can really understand. Now I can really explain to you, um, you know, the depth of the modern social contract and how that affects uh, government's function and how you know the, the way that the Republicans approach the poor has an impact on policy. So you know you'll walk away from this not just understanding uh, Barack Obama himself, but the direction of America and how Republicans and how government functions within it. Um, it's a really brilliant book, and you know when, when you talk about seven hundred some pages. You know, I, I blanch at that when it is not an engaging 700 pages. Yes, but I will say is, that. This is an em- it is an engage. It's, it's an a, engaging. It's, a, it's an engaging it's book. Like it is. Like I said, if he decided to, you know, you know, in my later years, I'm going to start writing fiction. Like I would buy his books because his try. writing is beautiful. I mean, it's you know, it's it's a good. He's a good writer. He's a great writer. It's an important set of uh, moments in history. Uh, you know, I, 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 hold, I, I, I put it. I, I put it as one of the best, perhaps the best, presidential memoir that I've read. Um, which, given hold up against the Clinton book, which was terrible, the Bush book, which uh, to my memory am i missing something i don't think that bush has written a memoir of his time um so then like i mean i'm not i'm not even sure what the what the serious competition would be in the in the last 30 in the post reagan era what the competition would be 
Um, so, you know, look, if, if this era meant anything to you, I would highly uh, urge you to read this book because it will give you a deeper understanding of what was happening during the Obama presidency. Um, it's a beautiful book, y'all. Sit and read it by the fire. If you have one, grab a cup of cocoa and enjoy it. Um, all right. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Torre. And I'm Danielle Moody. And we'll be back next week. In 2021! <laughs> if there's still a country. Pray about it. Pray about it.